0: Today, we're all looking for ways to save. That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in, then flags any hidden errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's
3: Come Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast,
0: and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds and... Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, sent out a fundraising email where he lamented the number of queer kids in America. We have such a great show today. Former Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel Powell tells us about her Senate run against one of the most unlikable members of the Senate, Rick Scott. And then we'll talk to Voto-Latinos Maria Teresa Kumar about how Democrats can reignite voter enthusiasm from Latinos. But first, we have the host of the Focus Group podcast, the publisher of The Bulwark, Sarah Longwell. Welcome to Fast Politics, Sarah Longwell. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you because I had a Republican thought yesterday. No way. uh, Yes, I did. I had a moment of like, I mean, I am very much not a Republican and I very much do not agree, policy-wise, with anything Nikki Haley is selling. But again, last night you watched that debate and it feels to me like there are people in the Republican Party, like Trump and DeSantis, who are really authoritarian. Right. DeSantis is like, you know, his whole thing is like Trump is not authoritarian enough. And then you have people like Nikki Haley, who's like and and then that sort of is like more normal. And then you have Chris Christie trying to like stop the train almost. I mean, I am defending Republicans. What is wrong with me? Help me. Well,
4: you're not defending Republicans. Exactly. I mean, so I mean, here's the thing. Chris Christie is it was his swan song, right? He is going to probably drop out here in in not too long and hopefully, you know, endorse Haley and all the polling indications I've seen and just my gut says that the Christie people are going to go to Nikki because she is more normal. The thing is, the reason that Chris Christie, for all of his attacks and all of his truth-telling, the voters hate him. Republican voters right. hate him. Right. Like when you say you have a Republican thought, actually, what right. you mean is, is it's nice to watch Chris Christie attack <laughs> DeSantis and Trump and tell the truth about them. And yes. so it's not quite a Republican <laughs> thought. And look, yeah, Nikki Haley is funny because there's a world in which she looks like the future. But we don't live in that world. And the world we live in, she's a throwback. And for voters, you know, she is basically a pre-Trump politician who they view as a rhino and an establishment candidate, who they and and actually I think people don't hate Nikki. I think that what I've seen from voters is that they're like, she's fine, but like, I'm not going to vote for her. She's not what they're interested in. She's
0: not red meat, right?
4: Yeah. I mean, she's up there talking about policies and foreign policy. And also, she still believes in American leadership in the world. And I got to tell you, though, some of the weird stuff I hear in the focus groups, I would have told you actually maybe before this whole thing. In fact, Lots of reporters asked me, do you think that the Republican Party will take Nikki Haley seriously because she's Indian, because she's a woman? And I was like, yeah, I don't actually think that's going to be a huge deal. I actually can't believe how many voters I've listened to say they wouldn't vote for a woman. Like just in the focus groups, they're like, and their reasoning is a lot of the people who say it are women, but it's women who say it oftentimes. And they're like, I don't think that uh, a woman can stand up to these or either stand up to these world leaders or that they wouldn't be respected by these other world leaders. I don't know. These
0: guys have it's never insane. heard of Margaret Thatcher
4: or many of the other women world leaders.
0: I mean, how do you feel when somebody says that to you? I don't care for it. I think, I think it's not great. It's like an internalized misogyny that's like kind of insidious to have women saying that about other women.
4: So this is something that when you do the focus groups all the time, you start to see as a real pattern in people's thinking, which is that they sort of don't own the thought themselves. They put the thought on somebody else, right? So what these women are saying, or or, and it's not just women, but I hear plenty of women say it. They say, I'm worried that those other world leaders won't respect this woman. And so what they're saying is, is not that they are misogynistic, but that they believe these other people are so misogynistic. And I you usually hear this from Democrats more on like, I don't think that the country will elect a black woman. I don't think that the country will elect a gay guy. What they're doing is really just, they're projecting their concerns onto they're saying other people won't do this. But here's the thing though about Nikki, she is the most qualified person. I mean, Chris Christie, I think, is too, but she is, uh, I think, the most qualified person to actually be president. And in a world where Donald Trump chokes on a cheeseburger or has like a a major health event, I would be much happier if she were in second place than Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Wall Street Journal has a new poll out this morning, a national poll in which she has edged out Ron DeSantis. She's at 15, he's at 14. Together, that equals 29. Trump is at 59, which means that if you double what Nikki and DeSantis get together. Trump is still twice that. And so in some ways, I am a political nerd. And so I I love to watch the debates. There's a whiff of futility in it all. What's the point? Because it doesn't say anything about the current race, nor does it really say anything about the future of the party. Well, that's not true. It does. But like Nikki... And Christie are not the future of the party. They're just not.
0: So when I was watching that debate on News Nation last night. How did you find News Nation? I I, (laughs) I ended up watching it on YouTube on The Blaze,
4: which to have Glenn (laughs) Beck. They're already talking over each other. Then Glenn Beck's talking over them. I was like, this is the most miserable viewing experience ever but sorry you you found news nation somewhere let me
0: let me preface this with being 45 I still own a cable box and <laughs> it took like a good 10 minutes of like trying to figure out how to find it but I did eventually find it by starting at 2 and clicking all the way up I hit it eventually because I couldn't find <laughs> you know you google news nation what channel and nothing comes up and it is like the land of misfit toys over there with Chris Cuomo kicking it off to Bill O'Reilly. I mean, what are we even doing? And Hogan Gitley with the hair all slicked down. So you did miss a little bit of the characters from season one, but I I was struck (laughs) by how much there is a really scary part of the Republican Party that is no longer like in 2015, it was Trump. Now it's authoritarianism.
4: Yeah, it's the whole thing. And sometimes I'm not debating that it's not authoritarian or it's
0: anti-democratic.
4: Of course, it is anti-democratic. There's one of the things we always say at the board, Charlie says, this is like a clown with a flamethrower, like still has a flamethrower. And and that's sort of how I think about these guys, because they are such idiot clowns all just following in Trump's footsteps, like, Vivek Ramaswamy on the stage last night being like, yeah, you know, January 6th was an inside job and nobody's jumping all over him. They they don't have debate. Mo- you know, like we've got Megyn Kelly, the podcast host, and they were all doing like this anti-vax nonsense. Like and it was like, how could you defend the vaccine? I mean, the whole thing I tweeted this after the debate, which is like, even if Trump's gone, just the whole party's lost. It's all gone down this insane rabbit hole. And And like, what is the News Nation thing? Anyway, like with the RNC, (laughs) weird debates to News Nation, which nobody watches because guess what else? We, you and I, suffered through that debate last night, but I think most of America did not. People doing intense analysis over who won and who lost when Trump's up at, you know, 60 points. Like, it's all it's all just sort of meaningless.
0: Yeah, we lost because we had to watch it. Yeah.
4: Chris Cuomo, I called BS <laughs> on this thing that he said where he was like, Biden and Trump are the same and neither one of them is. Jesus. Did he say that? Yeah. He uh, he said that it was either Biden would be equally dangerous or Trump would be just as dangerous as Biden. Like, whatever. There was some some equivalency that was idiotic, which I pointed out was idiotic on Twitter and like <laughs> immediately got a call from his producer with him. Oh, being no! De- Debate me. <laughs> No way. I was like, I got COVID. I, yeah, we'll fight <laughs> with you later. But also,
0: like, I don't want to go on News Nation. I, I got to have a debate in the forest with no one listening. <laughs> I recently declined a News Nation head. But yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that's the thing is, like, I do not miss seeing him on television because he's very unsmart.
4: I never watched him before. Like, I, I, I didn't really have him so much on my radar until all the Cuomo Qua Cuomo stuff happened. Like, I don't know. He got me too. Right. It was like where he wasn't disclosing about his brother. And then it was a me too thing. And the brother and, you know, the mayor of New York, former mayor, also got me too. It all just doesn't sound that great.
0: Yeah, (laughs) That's right. It's not great. In case you're wondering, none of this is good. We would like to have a mayor who is not in what seems like real legal peril for any number of possible things he may or may not have done. So I did watch that and it is clown with a flamethrower, I think is absolutely right. The question of like Trump has sort of rigged some of these debates too, right? Like he can't lose Iowa. Wait, what do you mean he's rigged the debates? He has like consolidated some of the caucuses and yeah. done some machinations behind the scenes, making it easier for him to win the nomination.
4: Sure. The infrastructure in the Republican Party belongs to Trump. That doesn't mean he couldn't lose Iowa. I don't think say Iowa's right. The rules are structured as such where they they absolutely help him. One of the things that's ironic is if you go back and look, there were a bunch of changes that were actually made to try to make the Republican primary less contentious. Where so basically, like if you go into Super Tuesday, it's winner take all winner take most in many of these states. And it's meant to lock up the primary faster. The RNC after could have changed those back and they declined. Which is fine. I mean, whatever they left them, but that is gonna all of it's gonna make it a lot easier for Trump to win. Can we go back though to the debate for one second? I yeah, have like a point that I really want to make, which is about Chris Christie. Okay, so obviously all of us who hate Trump were watching Chris Christie and we're pleased at his performance, and he he went hard. But Chris Christie also like it's over. You know, like the his negatives are too high. It's never gonna happen. He should he should back Haley. But he did this thing last night that really, really made me angry. And I wonder if you had a similar reaction because I'm not sure people did. There's this part where he goes in to defend Nikki, right? Vivek is saying absurd things and DeSantis is attacking her because now she's the front runner. In their undercard, they're all after Nikki last night. And Chris Christie does this. I've known this woman for 10 years and Vivek's over there. He's saying she's not smart. He's saying she doesn't know anything, and he just repeats and really hits hard Vivek's criticism of Nikki before white knighting in to defend. you don't tell a woman that's this smart, yeah, and he kind of does this big defense, and she's standing there awkwardly as he like white knights for her and, and defends her. And I think that that was her worst moment. He, that, that, and I don't and I think Chris Christie knows exactly what he's doing. He's repeating the slams against her emphasizing them and then acting like he's coming in to save the day. And I actually found that kind of gross and didn't like it one bit.
0: Mm, it's so interesting that you said this because I was talking about this with Mika this morning and like I'm conflicted because I thought she did really well for herself but they were so hard on her. Like everyone was like, oh, you know. Yeah, well she's trying to be president of the United States and
4: I just think there's nothing worse for like being the only woman on stage to have big bully Christie come in on your behalf. And the reason Nikki Haley has been going up in the polls, the reason they're all attacking her, it's, I'm sorry, it's welcome to being the front runner. This is what happens when you get out in front as people come for you and you got to be able to handle that. And, you know, you're not going to have Chris Christie on the stage next to you. And I thought that she needed to do her own fighting. But I think he put her in a tough position by
0: coming to her defense that way. One of the brilliant things, though, that she did, which I thought was amazing, was when Vivek went after her. She said, I'm not going to respond. And it made him look like an idiot. That timing, I don't know, I just thought like, wow, because, you know, he was like, and she was like, okay, I'm not going to respond. And I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah.
4: Listen, she has been really, really good in these debates. And I was disappointed last night. You know, I think she wasn't quite ready for what it means to be at the center of the stage and having everyone come for you because that's what they've been kind of doing to DeSantis. She has had some of her best moments actually responding to Vivek. I agree that last night not responding to him also looked pretty good because he's such a loathsome toad. But he's been a good foil for her. And I think engaging with him has is, is ultimately been to her benefit.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. He really sucks. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. Like, he does seem like a really a bad person. Last night, they were booing him. I counted four separate times where they just started booing him.
4: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, though. When I was, I was just doing a focus group with young conservative voters. Do they love him? There were only three candidates that they were interested in. Trump, DeSantis and Vivek. And I think that there's this new part of the coalition that's this like growy techy that I don't it's like now a part of the Republican Party. And I think that they find Vivek appealing. And I also think that Vivek's one of the things that's you talk about him being a bad person, he is not stupid, but he really thinks these voters are stupid. And he plays to that all the time. Like the level of contempt that these once serious and smart people hold these voters in is real.
0: I think that's Absolutely right. That's kind of the secret of Vivek is that he really thinks these people are dumb. And so, you know, his foreign policy is basically nothing, right? Like, let them all die. I think that a lot of people were under 50 because my husband does not feel this way. And he's a lot older than I am or not a lot, but he's a little bit older than I am. I think America should be less involved overseas, not the way that he does, because I'm not insane. But like, I think a lot of younger people do not like American intervention because we grew up through 9-11 and through the multiple Gulf Wars. And and he's sort of trying to milk that. But he, he doesn't have a plan. I mean, he just his plan is like, get in there and figure it out.
4: That's exactly right. And I remain kind of an unrepentant Neocon in the sense that I still believe that American leadership in the world matters a great deal. But I also agree with this point that, like, we have seen a lot of not so successful interventions over the last several decades. And there's no doubt when you listen to young voters, left, right, center, that there is no interest in boots on the ground anywhere else in the world, basically, for every reason. And people are pretty split on how much aid we send and how much we involve ourselves generally. But I do think that there's like a world for grownups. Right. And grownups have to understand the world and understand that it's dangerous and weigh the costs and benefits. And you you just you want somebody who's a a grownup and has a real understanding of things. And he his whole like move fast, break stuff, shirk people out, you know, con people into giving you millions of dollars, selling it off to private equity like none of that has prepared him to have the remotely serious thought on foreign policy.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the thing is he's like gotten away with it. And there's so much of that, like having gotten away with it, despite not knowing anything, you know, and that's what Trump was too, right? I mean, he basically got away with it to a certain extent. And, you know, he didn't cause World War Three, and he really could have. But I think that's a really good point. Should they have even had debates if Trump wasn't going to be part of them?
4: Yeah. No, I definitely think they should have. Look, I think that there is a... I don't know. It's less than 10 percent, but it's not a nothing chance that something does happen to Trump. I don't think he's going to jail. I know none of the fantasy politics stuff, but like keels over during a rally or something. And I thought that DeSantis knew some debate was stupid and unnecessary, but like we should have a Republican primary And besides, it's really good for the National Review guys and those types. They really need to, like, be able for a while to live in their fantasy world of like, oh, no, look, this is what's happening. But, like, it is an Earth 2 situation. I don't think we shouldn't do it. I just we should recognize what it is that, like, this isn't reality. There's a reality where there's another guy with 60 percent. These guys are fighting for a little bit of conversation, a little bit of a book sales future, maybe a VP slot. I mean, Vivek's going to be in Trump's cabinet. So prepare for that. These are the end days for someone like Chris Christie.
0: Sarah Longwell, thank you so much.
4: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic.
0: Today, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. When I first heard about it, I thought, it's about time. This makes sense. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in for savings. Let's say you, your spouse or kids, see the doctor or other medical provider. When your claims come in, HealthLock automatically renews them and any errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. So you pay only what you owe. This is your money you're saving. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped members save more than $130 million. I get it, medical billing errors can happen, but you should be able to pay with confidence. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix Hidden medical bill errors. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's healthlock.com.
1: Snag a Job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs.
3: Debbie McCArcel
0: powell is a former congresswoman for Florida's 26th Congressional District. And presently, she is running against Rick Scott for the United States Senate. Welcome to Fast Politics, Debbie. Well, thank you, Molly, for having me. I'm a big fan. I love how you keep them honest. Glad to be on with you. Well, I'm so happy to have you. So you are running for... Senate against Rick Scott, the least likable member of the Senate. I actually think there are less likable members of the Senate, but he's high up there. So let's talk a little bit about why you are the person to win this Senate seat in Florida.
5: Yeah, Molly, it wasn't long ago that this community here in South Florida elected me to be the first South American immigrant to ever serve in the U.S. House of Representatives. And that happened at the time I was the associate dean at the medical school. I I was trying to expand access to quality health care and the community needed change. This was at a time and now they, they continue to say that they want to repeal the Affordable Care Act. But at the time, they were very much focused on doing that. And so when I was in Congress, I expanded Medicare Leverage. I worked on reducing the cost of medicine. I'm really excited to see that finally we have that cap on insulin costs, which really affects a lot of Latinos and, and black voters. And I'm doing this again because the state is ready for change again. And everyone listening, I really need you to join me and support me because I am telling you. Rick Scott is vulnerable. He's an extremist who supports a national abortion ban. He's the one that wrote the plan to end Social Security, Medicare, and now the ACA. And he's never won a race by more than one percentage point. I need everyone with me. And to hold the Senate majority, it starts with Florida. Please visit DebbieForFlorida.com and
4: support this race.
0: It's funny because you were a medical school dean, and Rick Scott made his money on Medicare fraud ish. <laughs> so, you know, you both are in medicine. Let's talk about what Florida looks like, what your state looks like and and how you might do it.
5: Yeah. You know, the state is a bright purple state. It's not a red state. There's this misperception. And it's because it's been a very, very strategic move by Republicans here under Ron DeSantis to make people believe that this is a red state this is a voter suppressed and a gerrymandered state. And that's why in 2022, we saw that anomaly where really our voters did not come out to vote. And that's why you saw all these different races go to the Republicans. But we have a third of our voters are Democrats, a third of our voters are independent voters, and when we reach out to them, when we communicate with them, we tell them that they have a choice between someone that's going to reduce the cost of health care, someone that's going to protect their care, including Obamacare, someone that's going to ensure that women's rights are protected, someone like myself that cares deeply about the environment and making sure that we take action on the climate crisis that's affecting our state and the coastal communities around our state. They will vote for that person. And I've been traveling around the state, Molly, already. I've had so many conversations with different voters that are very excited that they have a candidate that's going to speak for them, that's going to deal with the issues that affect them personally and not someone like Rick Scott that has used that seat in the Senate. For self-enrichment, his wealth has grown by more than fifty million since he got into the Senate. And isn't it interesting that he put sixty-four million dollars of his own money when he was running in twenty eighteen, so that he can buy the seat, basically? And it's a it's a job that pays one hundred eighty thousand dollars. And you have to ask yourself why is he doing it? And we should all know that he's doing it for self-interest and and self-enrichment.
0: Florida is a really interesting state. I was just talking to someone about Latino voters in Arizona. One of the things that really helped flip Arizona blue, probably before it should, was Sheriff Joe Arapayo. Do you see a similar phenomenon happening with Ron DeSantis in Florida?
5: Oh, yes. I've talked to business that would never vote for Ron DeSantis again. They felt the attacks under his leadership. He's been attacking local municipalities. He's been attacking LGBTQ communities. He's been attacking students, teachers, immigrants. There is no group that he has not attacked. And I can tell you that as someone like myself, who is a Latina, who knows how to speak directly to our communities, I've been very, in here in South Florida, across, across the state talking about issues like gun violence. This is an issue that's personal for me, Molly. I lost my father to gun violence and I've been working for the past two years with Gabby Giffords on trying to reduce gun violence in the state and across the country. But this is one of the top issues for Latinos here in Florida and across the state. We suffered two of the worst mass shootings in the state of Florida at Pulse in Orlando and and at Marjory Stoneman Douglas. And it's an issue that drives people to the polls, whether you're Latino, whether you're a black voter, a woman who is dropping her kids off at school every morning and is always worried that something could happen. And so when we talk about these issues, it doesn't matter. They put partisanship aside. And this is a state that does that. We've seen it time and time again. It's a state where the races are always very close. But Floridians are independent. They have an independent streak and they vote for the candidate, not for the party, per se.
0: I'm really interested in that. It seems to me like the kind of effects of being in Florida, like if you think about what happened in Kansas under Brownback. What do you when you talk to voters on the ground because you are talking to a lot of Florida voters on the ground, what don't they like about the DeSantis? Cuz DeSantis has pretty much used his governorship as a way to audition as a as a Republican presidential nominee. So explain to us what that looks like on the ground for voters.
5: Yeah, Molly, Florida has right now some of the highest inflation rates in the country. We have an affordability crisis. People cannot pay their rent. They can't pay their mortgage, homeowners, insurance has skyrocketed. And this actually started under Rick Scott when he was governor. He took away money from the public option here and gave it to private insurers that were making money and also, of course, contributing to his campaign. And here we are. People have to think about whether they're going to be able to continue living in this state because they can't afford it. This is a unique problem in the state of Florida under DeSantis, something that started under Rick Scott And that's the top issue. When you talk to anyone here living in the state, that's the top issue. And that includes business owners, because imagine if you own, business. In the state, your prices for that mortgage or for the cost of property insurance, all of that has gone up. And yet wages have not gone up, right? Here in the state of Florida, we still pay our teachers less than the national average. Young Americans who graduate from college, they look to leave the city. That's the top issue. That's what we're talking about. And I think that's also going to reject a lot of the Republican agenda here in the state.
0: So, one of the things Rick Scott has done, he's sort of trying to take control of the Republican Party in a very kind of weirdly ham handed and stupid way. And, you know, he has this. Remember, he and Mitch McConnell really clashed over this like plan for America, which was to basically be Paul Ryan. What do you think about that? I mean, clearly, Rick Scott has higher aspirations.
5: This guy is a political opportunist, right? I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but when he was CEO of a healthcare company, he oversaw the largest Medicare fraud in the history of our country. They had to pay out $1.7 billion from that settlement for Medicare fraud. And he continues to just go to wherever he can be to make the most money for himself. And he oversaw the National Republican Senate Committee in the last election. He actually spent all the money that they had and they lost every election cycle. That plan that he wrote to sunset Medicare, Social Security, the Affordable Care Act also includes raising taxes for Florida families and everyone in the country. And that plan would affect my my own mom. My mom lives with me. I've had to take care of her. She's had a lot of health issues. And if it weren't for those programs that provide her life-saving care, I don't know where she would be and and where she would be if, if I wasn't able to also help her and take care of her. And that's something that I also want to focus on because young people are not thinking about this, but there's so many of us that have parents that we need to take care of and the cost of taking care of them are is really, really high. And here you have this man who wants to cut and actually sunset these programs that would take away all the coverage for seniors in a state where the majority of the Floridians, we have a a large number of seniors that live here in Florida that rely on those programs. So he is the most vulnerable Republican in the country. Mitch McConnell actually kicked him out of the Commerce Committee. I don't know if you remember that. There is no love between Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott. Mitch McConnell, the one thing that I agree with, I agree with him on one thing. And he said that Rick Scott is going to have a very hard time in his reelection and in his home state.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important point. You know, you do have a lot of older people in Florida. It's funny because I'm going through that with my parents now, with my mom and my stepdad. It's unbelievably expensive, too. The whole situation is so badly set up and shockingly expensive. Florida also has really felt the... Effects of climate change in a way that I think a lot of states have not with the algae and the hurricanes. I mean, what are you seeing climate wise on the ground? And are voters concerned about that or now? Oh, 100%. And
5: here's something that I think maybe people don't realize. When Ron DeSantis ran and was elected, and part of his popularity at the beginning was that he talked a lot about the environment. Now, when I was in Congress, I actually led the effort to bring to Florida $200 million for Everglades restoration. And of course, DeSantis and Republicans took credit for that. That was under a House Democratic majority. I had done a lot of work here with Coral Restoration Foundation in protecting our coral reefs. The state of Florida has the only living reefs in the entire continental United States. And we have seen that the warming of the oceans really affects coral reefs. And of course, that affects all of the sea life and the fisheries and the businesses that rely on a healthy environment. And Rick Scott, when he was governor, He actually banned the term climate change to be used in any of the state agencies. This man will never, ever deal with the issue that we're facing in Florida, which is stronger storms, destruction in coastal communities, businesses that are affected that have yet to receive the relief that they they deserve from these storms. And this is happening all over the state. And we've been lucky, Molly, here in South Florida, we haven't had a severe storm in the past few years. But there are people that have been talking about the effects of a storm of a hurricane, five of If it hits Miami, the economic impact would be disastrous for the economy of the state and also for the country, right? I mean, let's all remember that we're all connected. Florida is the third largest state in the country, the third largest economy that contributes to, to America's economy. We have to pay attention to this and we have to uh, make sure that we protect the state from the extremism that is under DeSantis, Scott and so many other politicians here.
0: Yeah, I mean, just really scary stuff. As the temperature goes up, we will see more storms, right? We will see more storms, more volatility with weather, more flooding, more danger. And Florida really is a state where, I mean, you have big cities like Miami that are uh, already seeing real problems from flooding.
5: Yeah. And part of when I talk about Everglades, right, and and investing in that restoration project is because we haven't had fresh water flowing down to the bay, which is critical for the health of our environment. And so that's why we've seen so many those images of fish kill. And that happened a lot under Rick Scott because he actually also repealed protections for the Environmental State Agency here when he was governor. And so you see the results of that. That that fish kill is because they can't breathe underwater because they're not getting fresh water. The Everglades serves as this filter for water to flow south. And, you know, I can go on and on. It's It's an issue that I'm very passionate about. Actually, before I worked at FIU as the associate dean at the medical school, I worked at the zoo, at Zoo Foundation. I worked with Ron McGill. I I did a lot of work on conservation projects. And so it's, it's coming from Ecuador, being born in my home country of Ecuador, we really pay attention to our environment and how it affects our livelihood. And it's something that I'm very passionate about. And it's also a factor that will motivate voters in Florida and particularly young voters. I've been talking to students already about this and their top two issues the environment and gun violence.
0: Talk to us about one of the things we have seen a lot of is this anxiety about Democrats winning over Latino voters. What should they be doing?
5: Well, look, only in a state like Florida was it possible for me, an immigrant that came here at 14 to go from working at a minimum wage job, working at a donut shop, then graduate college, become an associate dean at the largest public university here in the state, one of the largest ones, and then be elected to serve in Congress. And just recently, I was talking to this FIU student who was interviewing me for the paper, and he ended the interview saying, my mom came here also like you when she was young as a teenager. She was 13. And she's so excited about your candidacy. And she is so excited to be able to vote for someone like herself that will work to lift up our voices in Washington. And I and I hear that all the time, Molly. I, I've been, you know, I'm fluent in Spanish. I've been talking all over the state to whether it's Puerto Ricans in Central Florida, whether it's Venezuelan, Colombian, Cuban Americans down here in South Florida. And they understand that our values are the same. Protecting our family, security, making sure that they can just have opportunities to work and make ends meet. That's what we care about. And that's going to be critical. And Latino voters, by the way, continue to vote more for Democrats than Republicans. In the state of Florida, two to one. We cannot ignore that fact. And we need to be respectful about the fact that we continue to do the work to vote for the right candidates. It's about talking to them, meeting them where they're at, which is what everyone always says. But I'm here. I want everyone to come down here and meet my people where they're at. And they're right here in the state of Florida, ready to keep the Senate majority and ready to continue to protect democracy.
0: Such a good point. Thank you so much, Debbie. I hope you'll come back. Thank you, Molly. It's
5: always a pleasure, anytime.
0: Maria Teresa Kumar is the leader of Voto Latino. Welcome to Fast Politics, Maria Teresa. Thank you so much for having me, Molly. This is such a treat. It's such a treat because here's the thing. I am always thinking about what you do at Voter Latino, and then... I also really like you and we're friends. So so it's like, it's not so often that like there's someone who's like exactly someone I need to have on the podcast to talk with right away and who I also like want to talk to because we're friends. So it's very delightful for me. I've written about this extensively. We've talked about this socially, like polls are not real, but also what are Democrats going to do In order to not lose the presidency and also democracy in states like Arizona, Nevada, Florida, discuss.
6: So much. So first of all, Molly, I have to say I'm thrilled to be on your podcast because you are um, officially my very first Twitter friend that I met in human form and that I adore. I
0: love that. Oh, it's so mutual.
6: This is the challenge that I have right now with the Democrats. I'll be honest. Since 2018, since the, you know, since the rise of the autocrat, want to be fascist in Trump, Democrats—not necessarily the party, but Democrats, the progressive movement—have known how to communicate and mobilize folks to participate in our elections in record number, and we keep winning. Right. Most recent example is that we just won in Ohio, not small but big, and it was the passage of supporting abortion. And then people get back into the room and they start, you know, wringing their hands. They're like, well, what do we do now? Well, continue investing in that coalition. Don't try to experiment with something new. We actually have a winner among us. And that is the majority of Americans, when you start talking to them and communicating with them and you share with them what is on the line, they get it. But what the Democrats have historically done is they wait until the very last minute. And in doing so, you have... And opposition, not just in the extreme right of the Republicans, but increasingly nefarious actors from across the borders, through the Russians and the Chinese, who are actively trying to get people to solidify themselves, not for either party, but for not believing in democracy and institutions. And that, to me, Molly, it, when I take a step back, is what concerns me the most. We are in an information presidential warfare, and. We as progressives haven't even started to engage in those conversations.
0: Yeah. Uh, We had John Ralston on the podcast from Nevada. You know, that's a state where Democrats are hanging on, but are in peril. Can you explain to us a little bit about what's happening there and what needs to happen there?
6: Investment, Molly. I will share with you, in 2022, the Nevada race was closer than it had to be because, there was this idea that Latinas were defecting to Republicans. Actions speak louder than polls. If you look at the returns that happened in Nevada, if you look at the returns that happened in Arizona, if you even look at the returns that happened even in Texas in the 2022 midterm election, there was no defection. If anything, there was a solid base, but there was a lack of investment. So to give you an idea, everybody was at, it was saying, you know, Georgia was the election to watch. That's not where at Latino we were watching. We were watching Nevada and Arizona because we learned in the middle of September that 50% of Latino voters had not been contacted in Arizona alone. 50%. And why, Molly? It's because the majority of the voters, a third of the voters in Arizona, are under the age of 29. By Democratic progressive math, the way people run elections is that they only contact voters who have a history of voting five times. So someone who is 29 years old, they haven't voted five times. They don't have a history of voting, but are they aligned with democratic values? Are they aligned with women's agency over their bodies? And are they aligned over LBGQ issues and, you know, gun reform and environment? hundred percent. But if you don't call them and you don't tell them what's happening and you don't tell them what's up, they won't participate. So we actually, at VL, we actually had to transfer close to $4 million in investment in Arizona and Nevada alone, even though we were supposed to do it in five other states. Long story short, Molly, we did a post back of the napkin analysis of what happened in Nevada. Basically, in Nevada, we lost the governorship, the top of the ticket, because of 17,000. They were short 17,000 votes. Wow. It was $250,000. And you know who those voters were? Low propensity Latino youth. They just right. contact them. So it's not like we're not talking about millions of dollars in certain cases we're just talking about attention and nurture.
0: I think that's a really good point if you don't get out there, people don't know and college campuses are so are so interesting too. It's funny when you're talking about these results. I think about Wisconsin, right, where people told me Mandela Barnes had zero shot in the end had the polls been A little closer to what it actually was, he could have beat on Johnson. And so I feel like this is the discussion. We're having this discussion about like we started this discussion with me making an excuse for polling, for saying like, I know polls are stupid and a lot of times wrong. And now we we're as we're in this conversation, (laughs) we're talking about how wrong these polls were and how these inaccurate polls actually robbed Democrats of victories that they should have had.
6: Well, Molly, and you hit the nail on the head, these polls, oftentimes you have to see who is often behind the first wave of polling. I say this because remember when last year during the midterms, everyone was saying that there was going to be a red wave. That majority of it came from GOP operatives. They actually have skin in the game to prevent people from participating. What we know now, Molly, is that the biggest thing that polls do is try to suppress low propensity voters who think that their vote doesn't matter to begin with. And this kind of solidifies it. And so it makes our work harder. And so I would just encourage newsrooms to just be much more cautious and actually look at historical participation to see when initiatives come in. I mean, the fact that they thought that Ohio was going to be close, but abortion was on the ballot, they learned nothing from Kansas or any other state that passed it, right? It's almost, we're living in a moment where Information is dynamic or constantly they are engaging, whether in your podcast or on TikTok or what have you, finding information in real time. And that actually serves a lot of voters in a, in a way to be well informed and concerned when they get the information that they need in order to make the best decision for themselves. And frankly, when people talk to me about polling, I just, I mean, we need to, yeah, we need to understand polling as well. But oftentimes the wave of polling that is first announced in the media does not coincide with even internal polling among organizations. And I wonder if it's because they are polling older voters that are still landlined, that they're not actually looking at a diverse demographic, a younger demographic, that does have a different true north when it comes to this country. And and in that is like, you know, climate change is very real. I give a damn.
0: I think that's right. And I think that that's a really good point. And, you know, it's funny because it's like I was watching CNN as those off, off year election results came in. And I thought for sure Democrats were going to lose in Virginia. They flipped a state house. Andy Bershear in Kentucky got reelected by a larger margin than the first time. And I'm watching this thing where they're talking about Biden's poor poll numbers.
6: Yeah, so you know, I want to go back to you know the article that you wrote. I think that is one of the things that got you know got us mind melding again, Molly. And this challenge with polls is that it looks at a moment in time, but in a myopic sense, right? It's almost giving to the public that we are doing elections and running elections as if it were scenarios of business as usual. We are not in that moment in American history right now. Democracy is absolutely on the line. Our access to agency of our bodies on the line, just being a citizen in in America is on the line. And we do a disservice when we just do something that is a point in time and not to the bigger call to action of we need every single American who is a patriot to participate, to toe the line, because otherwise we're going to be in much tougher straits down the line. And I think that that was the essence of the article that you wrote that I think so resonated to me is that somehow... When Trump was in office, we were constantly sounding the alarm of his dangers. And now we're almost romanticizing him. And now it's like a, you know, collective movement of does he even have a shot? He shouldn't have a shot at all if the American people were reminded of what he did last time Mm -hmm. and how he has already given to us his agenda of solidifying his power the moment he steps into that office. And there is not enough concern or stating to the public that we are right now in code red in 2024 if we have a repeat of a Trump administration.
0: Right. The whole idea that we're going to have the freedoms of like the free press <laughs> no, if no, Trump right. gets reelected. I mean, we saw him the first administration stripping, you know, he stripped Acosta cost of his hard pass. Right. I mean, you know, anyone who he didn't like, he just kicked out. So I think that's certainly true. It's not even a question in my mind, but I think it is important like the voters since Trump has been elected have showed us really they don't like this. Yes. And I think a Lot about like so much of 2016's coverage was like Hillary Clinton is going to be the next president and here's what she's gonna do. And so little of it was like this would be what happened if Trump got elected, because it just seemed like it would never happen.
6: Right. I mean, I remember going into you know cocktails with different reporters in DC, and they were like, Oh, I have to finish this drink, but I'm gonna go cover Trump. And everybody thought it was funny. And I remember distinctly telling them he's telling us what he's going to do. And people kind of batted it away because they thought that he was the side circus. And in fact, we became the circus and he became the one that was orchestrating how he wanted the country. You know, this the latest news of, you know, Univision giving him a softball interview is a perfect example of what happens when a foreign entity owns our airwaves, Molly. Foreign entities in Latin America understand how to play ball with autocrats. This is their house. What they have a hard time navigating is... American laws, institutions, and norms. We had to take him at his word when he did go after journalists. He would throw them out, but he would also, I mean, I remember, do you remember during the George Floyd when he once sent in the National Guard? Yes. That is what you experience in other countries, not in the free press here. And I had friends that were reporting and they felt like they were saying in one case, one was like, I was in Latin America during, you know, during insurrections reporting. That's what I felt like in that moment in time. That should be chilling for all of us. It's not going to be that he's going to pinpoint a sector. It's going to be anybody who is on the wrong side of him. You know, when Hannity asked him as a softball question, are you going to be an autocrat and a dictator? He said, no, just the first day. You just need one day. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that was an incredible bit. I mean, watching Hannity just try desperately to make Trump sound less terrible. And Trump was like, no, no, I'm going to even sound more terrible. It's amazing. What you're saying is really important. I mean, I actually think this autocratic streak. I actually think it's gotten scarier because in 2016, it was just Trump. And now you're looking at a debate stage where you have, look, I mean, I don't love Nikki Haley, but I don't think she's going to be our last president. Whereas like Vivek and Ron DeSantis are both like on that same kind of autocratic path. Yeah.
6: And Molly, they're both, Vivek, I am sworn is auditioning for the vice president. He's basically saying, don't worry, I am not Mike Pence. I will fall in line. Whatever you need me to do, I will follow that script. But But it's not just the people running for the highest office. It's the fact that the GOP leadership mainstreamed an extremist in Speaker Johnson. And one thing, Molly, that folks haven't realized is that Because he is now technically de facto one of the largest fundraisers for congressional candidates across the country for Republicans, even if you have a state GOP that is not aligned with extremism, by default, they have to fall in line and their candidates have to espouse his agenda. And that is frightening.
0: I want to know, like Florida, Texas, Arizona, any of them or all of them. What are you seeing? What is important? Give me good news or bad news. So Florida
6: is going to be tough. It's I was just in Florida three weeks ago, and I was talking to local leaders, uh, young leaders, bright leaders. We've been working with. We were speaking with some folks of the Florida Alliance and just grassroots folks that really believe in the progressive movement and more importantly, building up base. They were telling me that what they're seeing now is going to take 10 years to flip Florida. 10 years, Molly. So that is a different calculation. Not good. But then there's opportunity in Arizona and even a place like Texas. Because I'll give you an example. In Arizona, where Biden won by 12,000 votes, we're expecting 163,000 Latino youth to turn 18. And over 70% of them voted for Biden last time around.
0: And these are people who lived through Sheriff Joe, a, a pie bro. Yes. They're the ones
6: that we ended up knocking on the doors and talking to them digitally and everything in the 2022 midterms that had just registered because they hadn't been contacted and they overwhelmingly voted for Democrats. This is a fun fact, and I'll share this with you, but we basically, you know, we did a post-election analysis and the more concentrated a neighborhood was, a precinct was in the Latino community the higher rates that senator kelly received of from them and the more white those districts were in arizona the less participation he received conversely molly the least investment came out of densely populated latino neighborhoods shame on us
0: so crazy it is shame on us but also sheriff joe really did make people know what a trump presidency means because I think exactly he right. did All of the scary stuff that Trump dreams about doing, he actually did to these young Latino voters.
6: And that's why they were ripe for mobilization. I mean, we went in right when Sheriff Arpaio started doing his show me your paper laws and Proposition 187. And we expected that Arizona was going to flip in about 12, 13 years. It flipped in eight. In 2020, we registered 32,000 folks. Of those 19,000 were first time voters, Molly. The appetite of young voters in Arizona cannot be underestimated. And the same thing is happening right now in Texas. The reason Texas has an onslaught of voter suppression laws against young people is because they're participating. And we're expecting close to a million Latino youth alone to turn 18 since the last election. Biden lost by less than 600,000 votes. I mean, there's so much opportunity there. I I mean, when I tell you there's opportunity, if you were to ask me what state is most akin to California when it flipped, it's Texas.
0: If Texas flips, Republicans will, I think, abandon the electoral college model immediately.
6: Yeah, no, they will. No, no. I mean, the thing is, like, if you pay close attention to what's happening in Texas and they are trying to close the access to the voting booth as quickly as possible, because the moment they do that, we will never be able to get Texas back because they basically have prevented the millions of eligible voters for participation. But at the same time, you have a whole slate of incredible talent, whether it's Selena Hidalgo or Greg Kassar, who's now a member of Congress, that is running the state with empathy and understands what people, everyday people, are facing. And the opportunity in Texas, I have to, you know, drill down, is not so much the top of the ticket, but it's Cruz himself running up for re-election and nobody likes him. Molly, His party doesn't like him. His family doesn't like him. Like nobody likes him. And that creates a unique opportunity in Texas to flip the Senate.
0: So true. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you will come back. This is so good.
6: Lightful Molly. Thank you for having me. You are an absolute light, Molly.
0: (laughs) And now your
1: moment of fuckery. Jesse. Molly Jung fast you know when they say about predators and toxic men is when they tell you who they are believe them but I think Donald Trump's not fully selling himself here what do you think
0: so a pretty great moment Sean Hannity is trying to promote Donald J Trump and he gets in there and he says so you're not going to be a dictator right Here's a moment where all Donald Trump needs to do is say... Yeah, of course, I'm not going to be a dictator. And instead he goes, except for day one, except for day one.
1: And we should point out that when he did this, he did that in the way that like when he thinks he came up with something really witty, he just looks like he's so happy with himself.
0: Well, and I also would say like I heard someone on CNN last night saying, well, he was obviously kidding. No, he was not kidding. Do not stop giving the benefit of the doubt to a guy who did an armed insurrection, okay? Stop it, stop it. Don't give him the benefit of the doubt. There is no place for the benefit of the doubt with Donald Trump. We live through one season of the apprentice presidency. We don't need to live through any more seasons. Stop it. He's telling you what he's gonna do, believe him. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. today we're all looking for ways to save that's why I want to tell you about HealthLock what is HealthLock? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in then flags any hidden errors like overbilling, wrong codes and fraud you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills to save visit HealthLock.com do it today before you see another healthcare provider that's healthlock.com.
2: information.